You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow Bright City Church on Instagram. Today's message is from Pastor Nick. If you're uh, new to Bright City, uh, my name's Nick, and I'm so glad that you're here. I'm pastor of Bright City Church. We've been a church for about nine years now, um, and just continuing to see God pour out His faithfulness and goodness. And kind of uh, as we were singing that this morning, it kind of just made me think about where we are in this moment with our sermon series, is, is we've been talking about becoming winsome. Uh, we've been talking specifically about evangelism for the rest of us. I don't know about you, maybe you've heard of guys like Billy Graham, these guys that were able to fill stadiums and testify to who Jesus was and see people respond and come forward. And maybe you are a product of some moment like that, or maybe you actually saw someone preach similarly to that moment. Uh, But what about the rest of us, right? Like what about the people uh, who maybe follow Jesus, but aren't necessarily going to fill an arena and tell people about him? Is that anyone in here? We've got a few arena people in here. You're ready to fill some arenas for Jesus? That's incredible. I love that moment and that journey for you. Um, But for me, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my evangelism? And so as we're seeing that, we're essentially saying that, hey, we've experienced a good God in the highs and in the lows of life. Like as life has gone up and down, God's gone nowhere. And so how do we live a such a life that testifies to the goodness of God? Like, how do we live in such a way that allows people to see this good and great and glorious God? Because if he's not, then why on earth are we here on a Sunday morning really early facing the same direction, singing songs together? Like, do you ever think about that? I think about that a lot. I'm like, okay, like... Not many people who are sober sing songs. Like usually it's the other reason that people are singing. But why, why are we missing out on brunch? And we're missing out on brunch because we believe that we serve a good and glorious God. And we believe that God has a plan for our lives. And we believe that plan is to live in such a way that calls other people to see your life And then as a result, they see the life of Jesus. They see who he is. They see his death. They see his burial. They see his resurrection. And then when they hear that there is a good and loving God who died on their behalf and conquered sin in the grave that we couldn't do. And because of that, we forget we get this new forgiveness and grace and mercy and love And to know that when we leave this place and when we mess up or if we are on Tuesday and we yell at somebody, it's like, man, I'm sorry I did that. But you know what? I've got a great God who loves me and who's covered that sin. And we get to experience that refreshment of repentance when we turn from our ways and we acknowledge God and we trust him. And so we kind of started this journey with Moses. And the reason we did that is because I think sometimes a lot of us feel like Moses, where it's like, okay, what is my place in this thing? Like, who am I? Like, how is God going to use me? But also we find ourselves in a moment in time where we feel like foreigners in a foreign land as believers, right? Like we feel like we're trying to find our home within this new space and this new season. 
But rather than talking about culture and rather than bashing everything around us, we actually started with ourselves. Because I think in order to be winsome, it actually starts with who we are in our heart and how we are functioning as people before we look outside of ourselves and talk about them and how they are doing and what they're doing wrong and how they should be doing this better and all of that. And when you read Exodus, you see that is is that first off, there has to be an awareness that number one, the church hasn't done this well. And that we are in a moment in time where I use this phrase, they know not Joseph. And so Egypt reached a place in time where they had forgotten about Joseph. They had forgotten about God's people. And I think sometimes if we're, if we're living in this world, it's like, man, I, I, I do feel like a little bit like people have forgotten my faith and what I stand for and what I believe. And, and I just I don't know where I fit in. But also we have this awareness that God hears our cries and he hears the cries of his people. But it's not enough to be aware. Is, is awareness is fine. Like, I think we're all aware. Like, praise God for Google. Like, you want to be aware of something, you're like, bump, 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 bump. you search it and you're aware. Like, you want to be aware of something, you check Twitter. You're aware. Like, this is how it happens in this world. But I think there's a difference between awareness and availability. So do, do you want to be used by God to reach people? Do you want to be used by God to reach your neighbor? Do you want to be used by God to reach that coworker who reminds you of that one character on the TV show, The Office? You're like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's such a Dwight, and I just I don't know if I can reach him for Jesus because he is a Dwight, and, and I am Jim, and you know, because we always think we're always Jim. Like, I'm the cool collective person, and he's Dwight. But does, does God want to, to use me to reach those people? And am I available to do that? And then we move from awareness to availability to capable. Like this is the moment that Moses had, right? Like if you've ever watched that Disney movie and he's at the burning bush, like he, he had some questions for God. Like that first question was like, like, who am I? Like, who am I to do this? And the beautiful thing about that is that we flow into being winsome from our identity, like just from who we are in Christ Jesus. There's not one class you need to take. There's not one passage in the Bible you need to master. There's not one Bible study that you need to do over and over and over again. Who you are is a son and daughter of the Most High God. And because of that, who you are is able to stand in the gap and testify to who he is. And so we flow from a place of identity. It's a, a state of being, not necessarily a state of doing. You will become winsome because you have a security that the world doesn't have, right? Like when you are around secure people, you're like, how are they so secure? Because internally, I'm a basket case. And I'm wondering about all the things right now. And they are cool as the other side of the pillow. And how are they like that? And it's because they have this security. And so we ask, you know, that question of who am I? And then Moses asked that, that age-old question, like, what will I say? Have you ever had that moment where you feel like you're supposed to tell somebody something? And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know what I'm going to say. And then you, like, come and finally say it and you reverse all the order of the words and they look at you and are like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you, you okay? You blacking out? Like, everything all right? And you're like, oh, sorry, sorry. And I think for a lot of us, when we talk about becoming winsome, it testifying for Jesus and telling other people about Jesus, 
we have this fear of like, what will we say? But when you read Matthew's gospel, I think it's Matthew 9 or 10, he says that, hey, when you get in that moment, the Spirit's going to speak through you. You're going to know what to say. And even more so, I would say in this day and age, is you know what not to say. Like there are just times where you don't need to open your mouth at all. Like sometimes there's just things that flow out of this mouth that don't need to flow out of this mouth. It's like, oh, let's put that word back in. Let's shove it back in there. I didn't mean to do that. Do over. And so we'll know what to say. And then that age old question of, of what will happen if they reject me? Like, have you ever thought about that, like being rejected for your faith? And like, how do you do that? And what does that look like? And so Moses has those same fears that we have, but, but God over and over and over again is like, hey, I, I just need you to know that who you are is able to do this. Like, this is a part of your identity. This is a part of your wiring. This is a part of how I've created you. And so it starts with that awareness of self, starts with that, that awareness of who we are and why God's put us on this earth. And then we move from there to talk about what is God doing on this earth? Like, what on earth is happening in this world? And so I think sometimes we as believers think that we need to confront every issue and be some sort of like spiritual referee to the world around us. And like we want to carry a whistle and blow our whistle like every time we see an infraction, like infraction, you can't do that. You can't say that. You can't cut in that line. Oh, I'm going to tell you how I feel in the comment section. And I'm not using any emojis, only words. And they're all four letters. And we feel like we need to regulate society and we need to referee all the people around us. That is exhausting. And if you do not have peace, it's probably because you are letting other people steal your peace. Here is the beautiful thing about God is God confronts the people and we care for the people that God confronts. And so when you're reading this moment in Exodus, you, we, we talked about the 10 idols that God had to confront in Egypt in order to show them that he is the one true God. And it wasn't just random plagues. Like he, he came after all of the core beliefs that they had that were wrong and that were contrary to God. And one by one, he was like, hey, I am God and this is not do you want to turn to me and trust me? And they said, no. And he says, that's okay. I am God. This God is not. Do you want to turn and trust me? And when we are becoming winsome in this world, it starts with taking the plank out of our eye before we talk about the speck in someone else's eye. That's Jesus's words, not mine. So don't email me. Don't be like, hey, I was with you until you said that thing about the plank and the speck. And I just, I got really frustrated. And then I woke up with something actually in my eye and you just hit, no, that was Jesus. That was not me. And when we are talking about becoming winsome in this world, we've got to confront the idols of our own heart. Like just because we claim to worship God don't, doesn't mean that we won't be tempted to worship other things. There are things on this earth that rival our affections for God. And every day we have, to say, we have to wake up and we have to just say, God, are you the one that my heart desires? Because I'm going to be honest, like, there's a lot of days when I wake up and there are so many other things that I desire other than God. And that's okay. Because what happens is you get to say, God, I'm sorry. 
I don't, I don't want to turn to that thing anymore. I don't like how I feel when I worship that thing anymore. And I'm over that thing and I want to move on and I want to trust you because you are the only one worth trusting. And so God does that in our heart. And then if you notice, he'll start to do that in people around us. And then you'll start to see like, hey, that thing that's going on in their life actually might be God confronting the idols in their heart. And then you get to say, you know what? Like, I, I want to be a place of peace for that person. Like, I, I want to be the patient presence in their life to help them walk through this moment. And so I think a lot of times when we talk about evangelism, we come from this place where we have to tell everyone everything that is wrong in this world. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I think we all are experiencing everything that's wrong in this world. But here's a wild idea. What if we tell them everything that is right about his kingdom and what he wants to bring into this world? We get to testify to that. And so we're moving from this awareness and then we're available. And then once we're available, we see that God's confronting the idols and the things of this world. And then last week I tried to get practical. I was like, all right, we have been in like theology 501. Like Nick, you started talking about idols and Egypt and, and gods with cow heads and, and fly heads. And I, I admit I was, I was not going to come back, but I, I came back today. And, and so we've, we've tried to turn the ship practically because here's what I do know is that if you come to a coworker and you said, well, this is the same thing that happened to that fly God with the cow head. And then they returned to God. And then what had happened was, is he parted the waters and then they walked on dry ground and then they got to the other side and they, they worship God. And then Moses sang this song. I mean, like what we believe is by faith. And it sounds crazy to people who don't have faith. And so how do you live faith practically in the world around you? And so last week we talked about curiosity. There are things in your life that are good, holy, wonderful desires that are not just there for you to have fun and live this life. They are there so you can know the mission field of your life. Like you ever think about that? Like some of you have this deep desire for spreadsheets. And some of us think that's Satan's tool. And you're like, no, this is how God organizes the world. And he takes those things in our heart and he uses them for his good. And you start thinking about all the things that you love to do and have fun. Like, gentlemen, like when we play golf, like it's so crazy that guys don't talk to each other ever at all, but we're willing to be trapped in the same golf course cart thing for four hours going through the woods trying to find where we hit our ball. Like, isn't it incredible how that works? And what if God wanted to use your love of golf to reach people for Jesus? You ever think about your hobbies? You ever think about your dreams? You, you have all these things that you're curious about. And your mom might have told you that you are a special flower and a unicorn in this world. And, and she might be right. I'm not, not trying to dog on mom. But what happens if we step back and say, hey, I wonder what would happen if I submitted these things to God? Like, I wonder what would happen if I asked him to consecrate my curiosities and use them for his kingdom? Like, what if I set aside my love for this one thing? Like, what if I set aside my love for sports and I decided that I'm going to have a sports night at my house and I'm going to invite all these people that I've met from work and we're just going to eat food and yell at the TV 
and then hopefully along the way I'll get to tell them about Jesus. Like, number one, how incredible is it that the God of the universe reaches people like that through you and I? Like, I mean, like, it could have been the track, like, all right, well, first you have to be celibate, and then you, nobody's laughing. Second of all, you have to go to a, live on a monastery, and so you have to take a vow of silence. And then once you take the vow of silence, and then you live in the monastery, and you commit your life to God in gardening, in silence, in, in, in solitude, then I will use you to reach the nations. And God's like, no, that's not how I want to work through you. Like, that might be for some people, the, the, the 0.1%, but here's what I'm doing in the rest of the world. I am releasing you in your passions, your desires, and your dreams to make much of my name. How incredible is that? So this week, what I would love to do is I would love to move from how do we capitalize on that curiosity and actually make a connection with people. Because I think the more I talk to people about becoming winsome is there's that step where you actually have to talk and connect to the person, right? And some of us are like salespeople. We're like, man, I'll get that deal closed in a minute. Like I'll have them repentant, baptized, confessing, serving in kids by the end of the service because that's the gift that God has given me. But for the rest of us, what does this look like? How are we supposed to connect with people in such a way that causes them to see the good work that God is doing in their lives? Well, I think there has to be a core belief that you and I hold to without hesitation if we're going to connect to people. And here's the deal, is that God wants to use you to connect through you. And so what I mean by that is that God wants to show up in people's life in power and presence, and he's going to use you to do that. But if you back up and you look at the Bible as a whole, God is always trying to connect to his people. Like, let's just start in the garden. And if you're behind, anybody behind on their like New Year's reading plan? Anybody? We're going to catch up this morning, all right? So let's start in the garden. And you were like, Nick, I already got that part. I read Genesis. That was actually the only book I read. That's okay. You will be pros together. It'll be incredible. All right, so we're starting in the garden. And in Genesis 3.8, this is actually after Adam and Eve eat the fruit. God walks among them in the cool of the garden, which is a testimony that God doesn't like humidity either. Can I get an amen? And so in that moment, God is making his presence known among his people. Are you ever think back to that? Like just God trucking it through the cool of the garden among his people? How incredible is that? Like he could have been anywhere doing anything. And in that moment, he says, hey, Adam and Eve, I'm coming for you. Like, hey, there's some shame. There's some guilt. There's a little bit of a, a sin hangover. But guess what? I'm coming for you. You don't need to hide under that fig leaf. I'm coming for you. I see you. I know where you are. And I want to be with you in the moment that you're in. And so then we move on to Exodus. And we see in Exodus that God was wanting to bring his people out of 430 years of bondage, living under another culture in another place that was contrary to the kingdom. And what did God do? God made himself known. 
Like you hear him talking about cloud and fire and being guided in these moments. Like that was God with his people. And so a lot of us sometimes we're like, hey, I don't, I don't know if God's speaking. I don't know how he's guiding me in my life. And you read moments like this and you're like, man, God wants to guide his people. He wants to lead his people. And then you continue on a little more in Exodus. You see that God is meeting with Moses on the mountain of God. And so the people are witnessing God coming down and they say he comes down in glory and he's meeting Moses in that moment among the people. You know why? Because God wants to connect with his people. And so in that moment, he's showing it through Moses. And then you move on and you see that God is showing them this almost portable and physical way that he can continue to meet with his people, right? Because the goal wasn't for the people to stay around the mountain. The goal was for the people to step into the promised land. Are you following me? So how are we going to connect with God if the God is the God of this mountain, but the promised land is all the way over here? And God was like, hey, I'll show you. Ark of covenant, and I'm going to give you this opportunity to build a tabernacle. And so this is where we see like the first tent ministry right here. Like this is God showing up. God even talks about curtains. So guys, if, 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 if your wife is trying to talk to you about curtains, it could be God speaking through your wife to talk about decorating. It's like it just it happened in this moment. Like before there was Chip and Joanne, God was talking about all the curtains and all the ways that this was going to happen in the ark and the tabernacle. And so God was like, hey, I want you to build this tent of meeting. And then you're going to have this box called the ark of the covenant. And in this place, I'm going to meet with my people. You know why? Because God wants to connect with his people. All right, we'll get it. We'll keep we'll keep going. So then they have this ark, and then they have this tabernacle, and next they move to the temple. And so this is God saying, hey, we're going to be a little more permanent, but it's still going to be my presence. We're going to have a little of a bit of a facilities, but it's still going to be me coming to dwell among my people. And so he gives David this like first fruit or this seed of building this place that God was going to dwell with his people. But then God was like, hey, David, you're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it. And so they build this incredible temple. Why? Because God wants to connect with his people. We'll get more coffee next week. It'll be okay. So they build this incredible temple and God's doing everything he can to connect with his people. And he's trying to show them a way to connect with him. And so he creates this space where they know that they can go be in the presence of God. Have you ever felt that way on a Sunday? You're like, the week hit me in the face. I just need somewhere where I can go be in the presence of God. Well, the Israelites didn't necessarily stay in the presence of God. They chose other things. And so God exiled them to Babylon. But then as they did that, the temple was torn down. And so when they come back, if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, this is about God reestablishing that connection that he has with his people. So they rebuild the wall, right? You remember that? Then they rebuild the temple. I told you we were catching up on the Bible reading. It's really working out. It's going to be incredible. And so then they resurrect this temple and they have this moment of worship because God wants to connect with his people. And so that didn't last very long because his people wanted to connect with the other cultures around them and they wanted to connect with the other gods that were active at that time. But that's okay. You know why? 
Because God had another plan. And here's the other plan. Is that God came down himself. How incredible is that? And so God comes down and he puts on skin and he puts on skin in the form of Jesus, the God-man who walks among us. You know why? Because God wants to connect with his people. And it wasn't just enough for Jesus to just connect in that one moment at that one time for 33 years. God was making a way for his people to connect with him forever. And so what happens is, is that God man named Jesus gets on that God ordained cross and he dies in our place and he takes on the sins of the world and he goes to his grave bearing it all and he gets out of the grave in the form of the resurrection so that once and for all God can connect with his people how amazing is that and so when you see what God is doing God is jumping over every hurdle he can to connect with you God is chasing us down he is trying to bust down all the of the walls. He's trying to speak into all the lies. He's trying to overflow our lives with grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and joy and peace. And he's trying to say, hey, I need you to know that I made a way for you. Even when you don't want to be at church, even when you don't want to call on me, even when you don't want to read your Bible, even when you don't want anything to do with me, I have still made a way to be with you and you be with me. And so God is in the business of connecting with his people. And so when God left the earth in the form of Jesus, he leaves his spirit. And when he leaves his spirit, he is leaving a permanent imprint on your life that you are connected with God. And so when you wake up tomorrow and you're like, I don't feel connected to God because it's Monday. And we can all agree that like we feel less connected to God on Monday. And when you go get to the end of Monday and you're like, man, I really don't feel connected to God. And then by the time you hit Wednesday, you're like, is there even a God? And God's like, hey, I, I, I put my spirit in you. I put my power and presence in you. Like, unfortunately, if you have faith in Jesus, then you can't get rid of God. But also fortunately. And so what God has done is this crazy thing is that he has chosen to call you and I his temple, his dwelling place. And so now when God wants to connect with people, because we can all agree that God wants to connect with people, right? He's going to do it through you. So when you show up to work tomorrow, it's not just you showing up, although I'm sure you're lovely and wonderful and great, but God's power and presence is showing up in you. Like, do, do you believe that? I, I know I sure don't, because I don't see power and presence. I see to-dos. I see obligations. I see difficult people. I see obstacles. I see all the reasons why I don't want to show up. But what if we step back and we said, hey, you know what? Maybe 95% of the world changing is us showing up every day in the power and presence of God. 
Like how different would our worlds be if we said, you know what, I've got power, I've got presence, I am the temple of God, and now rather than my work trying to affect me and cause me to be counter kingdom, I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, you know what, I am affecting this place. The kingdom is actually going to come through me. The kingdom is going to reign through me because God chose as plan A to put his power and his presence in me so that other people could experience him. And you're like, well, how do, how do we, can we just cut out the middleman? Like, if I'm the middleman, can we just cut this thing out because I'm a bonehead and I've made some bad mistakes? And God still looks at you and I, the bumps, the bruises, and all of it. And he says, you know what? Nope, this is my plan A. They're going to see me through you. They're going to see me through you. And so God wants to connect with people but he is going to use the connection that you and I have to him. He is going to connect to them through you. And so what on earth does this look like? How do we establish this connection that God wants to establish among the people in our lives? And so this is where I want to get really practical as to how you can connect with people. The first thing that you are going to have to do in order to connect with people is stop showing up as a here I am person and start showing up as a there you are person. What I have noticed in my own life is that I miss out on incredible opportunities of ministry when I step into a place wanting others to see me, wanting others to validate me, wanting others to champion me, wanting others to tell me how great I am, wanting others to say, hey, I just, I see you and I value you and you're awesome. There is nothing wrong with that. But as believers in Christ, we get to show up in a place and we get to say, hey, there you are. Hey, I see you. Like how often do we, like going to a new church can be so incredibly difficult. Stepping into a new community, a new place, a new opportunity, all these things can be so hard. But how much easier would it be if we came from a place of saying, you know what, this isn't about me, this is about him. Because I find that when people have problems with places of worship and when people have problems with crowds and people have problems with stepping into new space, it's because they're wondering what people are going to think about them rather than what people are going to think about God. Here's the beautiful thing about who we are in Christ Jesus is that we come into the house, into the place, into the opportunity, into the office as those who already have an unchanging identity in who we are as Christ Jesus. And we show up among people who have no idea who they are in and through Christ Jesus. So when we come into a place, we get to say, hey, there you are, because we already know where we stand. Like, we already know who we are. We already know that we can go into the throne room of grace at any time and experience the goodness and grace and mercy of God. Like, we already know where our destiny is. We already know where our eternity is. Like, how much more freed up would we be if we knew who we are in Christ Jesus, and as a result, we can step up into a location, a place, a dream, a desire, a job, a place of hanging out, Anywhere we would go and go, you know what? It doesn't have to be who I, about who I am it, because I'm going to live and say, hey, there you are. Tell me, tell me more about you. What's going on in your life? 
how are you doing? What's happening in your life? Tell me more about this. Tell me more about that. And what I find is that anytime we are operating out of a place of here I am, it is out of a place of insecurity. It's out of a place of not living into the identity as to who God has made us to be. When you look at Jesus's ministry, when you look at how he lived, like you remember in John 1 when he encountered Nathaniel, what did he say to Nathaniel? He said, hey, I saw you sitting under that tree before you saw me. It's because Jesus was a, hey, there you were a person. Then what does he say to Levi when he sees him in the tax booth? He's like, hey, I see you in that booth. You want to follow me? Jesus, like Jesus was the only person who could walk up into a room and say, here I am, right? Like he was the only person who said, hey, God of the universe, right here in your face, here I am. But instead, what did he do? Hey, there you are. I see you. I, I, I see who you are. When he would jump into the crowds, would he see the crowds or would he see the individual that was broken and need healing? That's who Jesus was. And I think we live in a culture that is overwhelmed by self-image. Like the very nature of a selfie itself is like, hey, here I am, right? And God's like, hey, why don't you flip that camera around and just, hey, there you are. And so we see the people in our lives. If you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you will be able to say, hey, there you are. It's just how it works. But here's the beautiful thing about that, is we don't have to earn anything to know who we are. Who you are is already established, and it is not changing, and that's because Jesus died on the cross to give you that identity. You didn't earn that. That means you can't change it. That means you can't fail and change it, and you can't succeed and change it. It is established. It is fixed. So who you are is in Christ Jesus. And so when you walk up into a room, you can say, hey, there you are. I see you. Tell me about your life today. What to, I, I see you. I see you. If we are going to become winsome in this world, we have to stop obsessing over self and start obsessing over others because that's how Jesus lived. So we get to live as, hey, there you are, people. Another thing that we get to do is we get to ask questions because questions mean you care. Came across this statistic this week. It says Jesus asked 307 questions in the gospel. Jesus was asked 187 questions in the gospel. Does anybody know how many of those questions he answered? Three. Isn't that incredible? Like, just, just a few examples. Peter, hey, who do you say that I am? That was a question, right? Like, Jesus could have came in and been like, hey, perfect theology right here. Here I am. Do you know who I am? But he said, hey, hey, who do you say that I am? When, Peter, uh, when Jesus saw the man at the pool... Like, this guy had been lame for 38 years. He's sitting beside this pool that has been, quote-unquote, known to be stirred and healed people. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't just assume. He's, he comes up to the guy and he says, Hey, do you, do you want to be made well? Like, in that moment, it's pretty obvious. Like, hey, I'm here, Jesus. Like, I thought you were the Son of God. I thought you knew everything. But Jesus still asked the question. 
on the boat in the midst of the storm, Jesus asks, hey, why are you so afraid? That's, that's not the question I'm asking. In fact, I'm swearing a lot if I'm in a storm on a boat about to drown. Like that's, that's, that's where my heart is and I'll get right with God later. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, why are you afraid? And so when you look at each one of those questions, he's saying, hey, tell me about your belief system. What, what do you believe? When he talks to the guy who's lame, he's, he's really asking like, hey, what's your deepest desire right now? Like, do, like tell, me, tell me what you desire. And when he's in the storm, he's like, hey, you seem afraid. Like, do you, do you want to talk more about that? Like, tell, tell me why there's fear in your heart and in your life. And I think if we can show up and say, we're well, going to be question askers rather than question answers all the time, I think we will get so much further in this world for Jesus. All right, I'm going to let you in on a little secret sauce. Are you ready? You're going to hate me for this, but this is, this is what I do. When I meet someone, I ask them where they're from. And some of you are like, oh, crap, he did that to me. <laughs> Here's why I ask where you're from. Because that tells me how you were raised. For example, if you were raised in the Midwest, like you are a hardy person. Like there, there is a chance your unsanctified self doesn't want help and that you have been raised possibly in the church and that you can grab yourself by the bootstraps and make anything happen. Like you could turn butter and do anything all at the same time because you know everything. And so when I meet people from the Midwest, I'm like, oh, like you are a, in all the best ways a proud person. Like you have a heritage about you, right? When I meet people from the Northeast, I was like, hey, if you're from the Northeast, there is a slight chance that you may or may not know anything about faith in God other than Catholicism. And I get to say, oh man, like I, I can find more about this person. Also, you don't know the warmth of a winter like it is in Charleston because you are snowed in all the time. And so if I'm complaining about 60 degrees and having to go to work, you're gonna be like, I just shoveled two feet of snow last week just to get out of my door and you're complaining about going forward. I'm not gonna complain to that person. You see how that works? Like you ask people where they're from, it tells you a little bit about themselves. You ask them, what do they do? Hey, what do you do? Okay, all right, that's awesome. You're a teacher? Man, you really have a heart for justice probably. Like you probably see the down and out and you're ready to help at any moment. Here's another thing I know about teachers is they don't care about money more than they care about helping people. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. Yeah. They just, they care about people. What do you do? Well, I, I started my own company, my own business. Oh, I bet you're a dreamer. I bet, I bet you wanna take care of people. I bet you wanna provide an atmosphere where you can care for people and be in their lives, but also do something incredible in this world. Uh, what do you do? I'm, I'm a doctor. Oh my gosh, I bet you love to help people. You're just tender, compassionate. So you ask, what do you do? I always ask, why do you move here? Like, hey, why, why did you come here? Well, for some of us, it's like, man, do you, have you looked around? Like, it's Charleston, like good food, good beach. Like the mosquitoes are like birds, but that's okay. Like I can, I can, as long as I'm not shoveling snow, that's, that's great. That's incredible. Or it's like, hey, I just, 
I have a friend and, and they're sick or I, I had to be closer to family because of this. And like when you ask questions, it's almost like you're able to prop up the hood of the engine and see what's truly going on. And what I find is as believers, we are so quick to tell people what we think and so slow to ask them questions that reveal their heart. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be manipulative. I'm just saying, like, if, if you ask in people what's going on in their world, that is going to be the next step that you need to take in order to love them well. And so when you... When you interact with people are you asking questions like Jesus asked so many questions he knew every truth and he would always look at people and say hey you, tell me more like oh uh, do you want to be made well like well, what's going on what's happening it's like Jesus you know what's happening like you're right here you see it but he's still asking questions last thing we choose compassion so we get to say hey there you are I see you and we're asking questions about their life, but we're going to choose compassion. Here's a passage from Matthew I want to read that's just incredible. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. So immediately right there, Jesus is saying, hey, there you are. I see you. I see what you're going through. What do you need? How can I help? And then he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest field. So here's the crazy thing about this verse is in this verse, Jesus is talking about harvest and compassion in the same sentence. And I think a lot of times we use Christianity as a weapon rather than an ability to free people from the bondage that they're in because we don't have compassion when we talk to people. We, we come at things, well, that's the choice that you made. Hey, I, I follow God. I give my 10%. I do this. I serve here. I'm a good person. And Jesus never interacts with people like that, right? Like, he has such compassion for people. Do you remember the prodigal? Like, the father in that story had every right to say, I told you so. But what does he do? Rather than saying, I told you throw, so he compassionately throws a party, right? That's just because that's who the father is. If we are going to become winsome in this world, we have to have compassion for people. When you think about someone who is negotiating a hostage situation, have you ever heard about these people that come in and they'll negotiate? Like the immediate step that they make is establishing compassion and empathy. And so when I think about we as the church and we as believers, why on earth do we lash out at people and try to hurt them when we want to help them? Like, like if you ever stop to think about like people's life and how they may or may not be in the actual hostage situation of their own, have you ever thought about that they might be in bondage as well? Have you ever thought about that they want freedom just as much as you wanted freedom, but they don't know how to get freedom? And so when we are approaching people, we need to deal compassionately with people. Here's the deal. God has chosen to make his presence in you so that he can connect with people. But how we do that is up to us. Are we going to be people that say, hey, there you are. I see you. 
I see you. This isn't about me right now. I see you. God sees me. I see you. And then we're going to be loving enough to ask questions. And then finally, are we going to choose compassion? Because that's who Jesus is and that's how he would interact with us. I think so often we think about these grand schemes when we talk about living for Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, you are making it so complicated. It's very simple. You love people. You see them. You say, hey, there you are. You ask them questions about their life and you show compassion and you watch God work. How incredible is that? But here's the deal. That's how God deals with you, right? So why on earth would we deal with people otherwise? Friends, you have the power of God living in you. How are you going to steward that power? You have his presence. How are you going to steward his presence? He wants to use you. Do you want to be used by him? He has put his spirit in you. Do you want to see the renewal that God has for you on this planet? Here's the deal. I think a lot of people have a faith problem because they haven't seen what's actually capable with God working through you. I, I think we live in doubt because we've never seen God move through us. Do you want to see God move through you? Oh no, we're in trouble. Do you want to see God move through you? God has moved heaven and earth to dwell in you. So how about live out that power and that presence as you love people? Amen. Let me pray for you, Father. I just pray that you would awaken our hearts in this moment. Father, I pray that you would help us be, uh, hey, there you are, people. Father, I pray that you would help us ask questions because questions mean that we care. And God, I just pray right now for a huge sweep of compassion and empathy over this place in the name of Jesus. Father, I just feel right now that we need to be reminded of our Father's love. I think anytime we are dealing harshly with someone, it's because we think that you would deal harshly with us. So Father, I just pray right now that we would be overwhelmed with your love. That we'd be overwhelmed with your forgiveness. That we'd be overwhelmed with your grace that we'd be overwhelmed with your mercy, that we would be overwhelmed with your presence. Father, you are not a tapping father, toe-tapping the ground, angry at your children. You are a good God who loves us unconditionally. So help us love other people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in to Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.